Christ at the center of it all. So we also believe that the Holy Spirit is present, can speak to us, can open our eyes, can open our ears to show us how to become the kind of people Jesus said we could be if we trust him and follow him. So we ask for that, and we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. One of the advantages of, of uh, being a parent of children is you have, a, you have a really good excuse to watch uh, kids' movies and cartoons. So Despicable Me, which is actually one of my favorite movies, cartoon movies, but one of my favorite parts is when uh, Gru, who's like the, the uh, I'm not sure what you call him, the star of the show or whatever, he, he something comes, oh, he has one of these moments where he all of a sudden realizes a, a solution, and he says, light bulb. And it's like the light bulb in a comic strip and, or whatever, but there's a couple times in the movie where he says that, light bulb, like I have an idea, something came to me. That's usually referred to as an aha moment. And so, you know, we've all had aha moments where it's like, oh, everything comes together and it's like, oh, I get it, light bulb. And, you know, we don't have a light bulb come on top of our heads. Although I've been around people where they'll say, oh, light bulb, and they'll, they'll you know, something kind, of, something kind of finally comes together, all right? People actually study this kind of stuff, and there's a, there's a test that psychologists use and it's called the remote associate association test. And here's what they do. Go to the next slide, and we're going to do this for a few minutes, all right? So those three words, there is, a, there is one word that has relationship to all three of these words. In other words, take out one word, and you put it either before or after these words. It fits with all three, all right? So the, a series of tests were given where people had seven seconds to try to come up with a solution. Like the solution for this one would be what? Cheese. Cottage cheese, Swiss cheese, or cheesecake, all right? You have seven seconds to do that. And when this was given to a group of, I uh, can't remember, 20-somethings, 84% um, got this one right, all right? Next one. Don't say it out loud. Next one. Go. you got seven seconds. Five, six, seven. Answer is ice, all right? 76% of people got this ice cream, ice skate, ice water. Next one. Answer is soda, soda fountain, baking soda, soda pop, all right? So you're making associations in your head. It's all coming together, all right? As we go, I'm getting ones that get fewer and fewer percentage of people getting them right, all right? Uh, next one, print, berry, and bird. Don't say it out loud. Answer, blue, blue print, blueberry, bluebird. Next one, wise work and power. people. Only 11% got this one right. Only 11% made the connection, the remote association, all right? Clockwise, clockwork, clock tower. All right, two more, and these are even lesser percentage ones, so if you get this one, you get like a gold star for association intelligence, all right? Back, step, and screen. Don't say it out loud. I know all these, so it's so obvious to me. The answer is Door, all right, back door, doorstep, screen door. And then the last one, which oh, I won't tell what percent, last one, hungry, order, and belt. Anybody? Anybody? Somebody say it? Nobody got this in the in the, on this particular research test. Zero percent got it after seven seconds. Anybody? 
so obvious. Don't you understand? Don't you get it? Money. Money hungry, money order, money belt. You're like, oh, oh yeah, now you're like, oh, now I get it. Yeah, okay. Now, how about this, this next one? This is not one of the ones in the test. This relates to the passage of Scripture today, all right? And there's no answer to this one. Go to the next one. There's no, there's no real answer to this one. 5,000, 4,000 in yeast. Okay, here's what's happening here. Jesus feeds 5,000 people with a few loaves. He feeds 4,000 people with a few loaves. Then he makes some comment about the yeast of the Pharisees to the disciples. And they, make, they, they have no idea what he's talking about. They, make, they have no association. They, like, they, they kind of have this kind of look on their face. And Jesus literally says to them, don't you understand? Don't you get it? And, and there's so many times, I, I would think your life is this way like mine. Go to the next one. Because the next one, you could fill in the blanks with what's going on in your life. And you're trying to figure out how it all fits together. Like, I'm, I'm into this Christianity thing, or I'm thinking about it. But when I think of, you know, this issue of my life, and that, and that, and I know the right answer is supposed to be Jesus. He's supposed to be the right word that goes with everything. I can't quite put it all together, and some of these spiritual aha moments or light bulbs seem to evade us, and we think, well, maybe I'm the stupid one here, because everybody else seems to get it, and I don't, and I'm here to tell you, you're probably like everybody else, we don't get a lot of this, and we're going to look at a, a, a chapter in the Gospel of Mark today where the disciples, his closest friends and allies, they don't get it, and if nothing else, it should make us feel a little bit more like we're in a good company with them. But also challenge us to what, what does it mean to how do we why don't we have as more of those aha moments and how does those how do those happen is it because we're stupid people or is it because other things are at work or do we simply need to wait for the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to things all right we've been doing a series the last few weeks last few months actually called seeing Jesus in the Gospel of Mark and I've been encouraging all of us to look at Jesus in kind of a, in a fresh way and to see the Gospels. Don't see Jesus differently from the Gospels, but see how Jesus is so different in the Gospels than maybe what you or I have grown up to see. That he's not necessarily hallmark Jesus or nice guy Jesus or all the things we want. I mean, you know, loves the poor Jesus. He is all those things. But in the Gospel of Mark, he's controversial, he's confrontational, he's supernatural, he's powerful, he's merciful, he's forgiving. Wherever he goes, smoke follows because he's, he's, he's pushing on status quo. This particular chapter we're looking at this week is Mark chapter 8. And I just put the one phrase up there, and Jesus is saying this to his disciples. Don't you understand yet? And we're gonna, I'll look at the, we'll look at the context here in a second, but the disciples... and. Seem to be, seem to be spiritually clueless. And I've said this before, and I'll say this again. When we read the Bible stories, the accounts of what happens with Jesus, it's real easy to, to read them as a third-party bystander and say, oh, those knucklehead disciples, what were they thinking? I want to encourage you to put yourself in the story as one of the disciples and realize you and I are no different than they are when we just don't. We don't get some things, and we're trying to figure out, Jesus, we don't understand. Because my guess is there's things in your life right now you're facing 
that you, you can't put it all together. You're not making the remote associations as to how Jesus is supposed to fit with all this. So then you just take life on your own to make it work, but you can't figure out how the Jesus, fits, Jesus piece fits in anyway. All right? So here's what hap- what's happening. Just leave this slide up here right now, um, Stephanie, to start with. So the opening part of the chapter, Jesus, and I'm not going to read all of it, but he's teaching and all these people are following him. And just a few chapters before, he had just fed 5,000 people with a handful of loaves. So the disciples saw that happen. They experienced, experienced it. So in chapter 8, Jesus says about these crowds, he says, you know what? I feel sorry for these people. They've been here with me for three days. They have nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will faint along the way, for some of them have come a long distance. And so the disciples reply, like you and I might reply, well, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out in the wilderness? And you might think, as I think, well, th- we just did it a few chapters ago. Didn't you guys see that? But they're still, like we are, we, Jesus even calls them a little bit dull of faith, and Jesus is not being derogatory or mean-spirited. But they don't get what Jesus is about to do. So they, they sit down. Jesus has another handful of loaves and fishes. He feeds 4,000 people with basketfuls over again. So again, another, another huge miracle happens, and the disciples witness this. And then the Pharisees come to Jesus, and Jesus, after that, he goes to the next town, and the Pharisees ask Jesus, you need to show us a sign to prove who you are. In other words, make it really obvious and easy for us to believe. And I think you and I can relate to that as well. Show us a sign, show us, but they, you know, the disciples really were almost provoking Jesus. They really didn't want to believe. They were asking Jesus, prove it to us. And the Bible says Jesus responded to them with a heavy sigh in his spirit. And he just, he said, I will not show you a sign. In other words, I'm not going to be a, do a magic trick for you to prove something that I know you won't believe anyway. So the disciples are watching all this because, again, the Pharisees were the ones who were the spiritually elite and they didn't. They didn't really want to trust Jesus. So the disciples are watching all this happen. So the 4,000 were just fed. Jesus has this confrontation with the Pharisees. And this is they get in the boat. So Jesus and the disciples get in the boat. And keep in mind what has just happened, the feeding of the 4,000 and the Pharisees. And (laughs) for some reason, Mark recorded they forgot to bring food in the boat. So they, you know, I think they brought like one loaf of bread for the whole group of them. All right. And then it says, as we were crossing the lake, Jesus said to them, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Yeast is something that if you let a little bit into, your, into the bread, it expands. If you let a little bit into your soul, it starts to sour and bitter your soul. So he's really saying, be careful for that kind of unbelief. And it says, at this, they began, the disciples began to argue with each other because they hadn't bought it, brought any bread. So they thought Jesus was talking about who forgot the bread, but he's not saying, he's, he's talking something totally different. But again, don't get contemptuous with the disciples, because I'm just like that at times. And they start arguing with each other, and, and so you can imagine Jesus sitting there watching them argue about, who forgot the bread? Who forgot? John, you forgot, Peter, you're supposed to get the bread. You're, you know, they're arguing about who forgot the bread, because they, they think what Jesus said, be careful about the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Herod would have been the king, but also showed some interest, but didn't want to believe. 
So Jesus is saying, watch out for unbelief. And they see he's talking about bread, and they're arguing in the boat. And you can imagine Jesus, we don't know this, I'm just throwing this out there. Jesus is issuing a short prayer to God, God, please give me some more people. You know, but, and, and then they're arguing, and then this is what happens. This is, go, I'm going to put on the screen here. This is exactly what Jesus says next to them. And I want you to kind of imagine you being in the boat, and you one of the disciples, and you're thinking he's talking about bread. And again, I want you to imagine, too, that Jesus never was demeaning or degrading, and he never is that way with us, but he will ask very hard questions. And this is what Jesus said to them. This is straight from the text. He says, why are you arguing? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? I mean, this boat, I'm sitting in the back behind Peter, and I'm trying to hide myself because I don't want to look at Jesus because I'm embarrassed because I really don't know what he's talking about. Don't you remember anything at all? These are Jesus' friends and allies. And those who say they believe him, they've left their lives to follow him. And Jesus is like, aren't it's, he's not saying it's obvious, duh. Jesus never speaks that way to us. That's a condescending kind of thing. I hate when people say that, by the way, duh. He's not doing that, but he's just like, don't you understand? Why are you arguing? Don't you know? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? Don't, you have eyes, don't you see? You have ears, don't you hear? And then he goes on continuing on his monologue to them. When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets left over did you pick up afterwards? And you can imagine all of them kind of sheepishly, uh, 12. Then he says, well, when I fed the 4,000 just recently with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven. You can imagine they're trying to figure out. And then he goes on in the next line, which I love it. Says, and, I, and I hate it too. Don't you understand yet? Don't you understand yet? I mean, think of these disciples and all they've seen. They've seen him not only feed 5,000 with a handful of loaves, 4,000 with a handful of loaves, with, with bakery full baskets left over. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen all this. And then Jesus says, don't you understand yet? And if I'm in the boat with the disciples, I would never have the courage to do this because I, I, don't, I don't know how I'd relate with Jesus with this. But what, you know what I'd want to say? No, I don't, Jesus. I don't get it. You're complicated sometimes, Jesus. I don't understand it. I mean, there's times where I think, and I wonder now, there's times if Jesus is saying to me or to you, don't you understand yet? And the disciples, we kind of get the sense that they were just, you know, crickets. Oh, they were on the lake, so no crickets in the lake. But it was quiet. And Jesus just looks at them, don't you understand yet? And again, my response is, I don't. I don't. I thought you were talking about bread and you are talking about Pharisees. I don't get it, Jesus. Because in their mind, they had construed what they thought Jesus was going to be doing, and they still thought in their mind he was going to be this Messiah that would come and kick the Romans out and establish his kingdom. So they're trying to figure out all these things he's doing are just kind of power plays to do some things. And they don't understand who he is. And you can, ex you can hear the exasperation 
but still tenderness in Jesus' voice toward his disciples, toward you and me, when he says, don't you, don't you understand yet? I mean, I used to teach, I, I used to teach math, junior high, high school, and there were times as a teacher where you, you think you make it really clear, and then you see the look on, you know, that eighth grade girl or ninth grade boy's face kind of like, no, I don't get it. Don't get it at all. And I'm just like, okay, let's erase the chalkboard and go through that one more time. And then you do a super job of teaching that particular problem. And you look at the class and they're like, oh, class almost over, Miss Smith. We don't get it. We don't understand that. And there's an exasperation of, don't you get that? And again, he, Jesus is not embarrassing these people. He's not degrading his disciples. He's not rolling his eyes at them. We tend to do that. He's not like, don't you get it? He's not doing that. It's coming from a deep place of love and compassion, but also exasperation at the same time. So then what happens? Jesus kind of pulls him aside. Oh, actually, then he heals a blind man just to kind of get out. Blind man comes to Jesus, wants to be healed. Um, this is one of those unique times where Jesus spits on his hands and puts the spit on the eyes of the blind man. That was somewhat of a fit into the culture of the time in terms of healing and, and that kind of thing. I mean, he wasn't spitting out of contempt or anything. And it says, he, he asked the blind man, can you see? And the blind man says, well, I can see, but people look like trees. So we get the sense that the person may have had sight before and now is regaining it. So Jesus does it again on his eyes, and the guy says, now I can see. So it's interesting that Mark puts that right after the passage where Jesus says to the disciples, don't you hear? Don't you see? Don't you understand yet? So he's just fed the 4,000, confrontation with Pharisees, rebukes the disciples in the boat for not getting it. Not Again, not out of degradingness, but just like, don't you understand yet? Then he heals a blind man. And then he gets all the disciples off to the side, and he says, who do you, who do you say that I am? And they say, well, people think you're this. Some people think you're this. You're John the Baptist. You're Elijah. Come back from the dead. You're this. You're this. You're this. Because you kind of get to the point that Jesus is probably trying to think, you know, do you understand who I am? Because you don't, you're not getting it. I think you understand. Who, who, who do you think I am? And then Jesus finally says, well, who do you think I am? Don't tell me who they think I am. Who do you think I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the one. You're it. You're the king. So there, there's some awareness there. Yes, he, he is the king, the savior. He's the one, the anointed one. And Jesus affirms Peter for that affirmation. But what's interesting is right away then Jesus starts talking about, you are right, but I'm going to endure. The son of man is going to be suffered. I'm going to be suffered. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be crucified. He basically tells them, here's what's coming next. All right. Peter had just said, you're the Messiah. After looking at all these great things you've done, then Jesus says, okay, here's what's coming next. I'm going to be suffered, get arrested, crucified. And Peter says, never, Lord, that will never happen to you. And it says, Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. He's not calling Peter Satan, but he's saying, that's the, that's the words of Satan. He said, this, you're seeing things from an earthly perspective. 
is a whole different way to look at it. And so even though Peter just said, you're the Messiah, king, anointed one, bum ba X number of seconds later, he misses it again. Because Jesus says, this is what's coming next. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. I have my own definition of Messiah Jesus, and what you just said doesn't fit in my definition, so that's not happening. And Peter still doesn't get it. Here's my sense of what this passage is, is saying, because it kind of hit me, hit me in a hard way. If Jesus were to ask me or you, well, who do you say I am? Well, I think a lot of us could give the right book answer. Well, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God, you're God and man, you died on the cross for my sins, you give me new life, new kind of life. We could say all the right kind of fill-in-the-blank answers, but we still don't get it. And here's what I think happens. Here's what I realize happens with me. If I'm looking backwards into my life, or like if I'm looking backwards into the things Jesus did with the disciples, wow, I can see, oh, wow, that was really great. Look at that. Look at that. Of course you're the Messiah. Because we have what uh, what you know we have backwards vision. We can see all the things he did in the Bible. We can see all the things he's done in our life. Yes, you're the Messiah. Yes, that's who you are. But then Jesus turns us around, and we have to face a future problem that we're facing, or a future anxiety, or a future whatever. And we turn it into the future, and then he says, "Now who do you say that I am?" And and we're like, uh, "I got to solve this problem, Jesus." And it's like, but. Do, do you get who I am from? No, I, I. We look forward and we don't get it anymore. This is where you know, even in the early part of the service, when I was saying, "What's, what's the anxiety on your plate, or what's the stress on your plate, or what's the worry, what's the concern, what's not happening that you think should be happening?" And you might be able to check all the right boxes and say, "Yeah, you're the Messiah. I read it. It's true." But it seems like whenever Jesus was about to do something new. With the disciples, they didn't know what he was about to do, and that's where their faith was missing. Of course, they'd look back, and they were right about everything. But when they got to do something, when they were in a new situation that there was no previous data about, then they, they didn't see how Jesus could fit into that. They didn't make that connection. Or if they did, it was only going to be in the way they wanted it to fit. And I think you might see where I'm going with this because I, I face things right now. There's certain things in my life where I have questions about. Well, I was like, I have no idea, Jesus, how you're going to do that. Just like when the disciples said to Jesus, well, we don't have enough food to feed these people. We don't have the resources to do it, Jesus. And he's like, did you forget what just happened weeks ago when I fed 5,000 people? You see all the miracles? But it's a new situation and the question we have of God is, I don't know if I have the resources it takes or if you've given me what it takes to do this in a way that is done to the honor of God, is glory, brings me alive. So then we take our own, take situation in our own hands and we figure it out. Because we don't know when we look into this next situation, God, I don't know, I don't know how this is going to be solved. I have no idea how this relational issue is going to come to any kind of peaceful, forgiving resolution. God, I have no idea how this financial situation I'm facing is going to have any kind of resolution. 
God, I have no idea how this worry about what my life's going to be like a year from now. I have no idea how that's going to work out. And, and instead of trusting and moving forward, we kind of like the disciples. We're like, well, how, what's going to happen? We don't know. How we start arguing with each other. I don't know. And they're fighting in the boat about bread and this. And, and Jesus says, just don't you understand? And, and I think the when Jesus says that to me or to you, I think an appropriate response is, no, I, I don't, Jesus. I don't understand. I have no idea how this is going to happen. I don't understand what it means to trust you in that situation because it scares me. I don't see what's going to happen. And I do think when Jesus says, don't you understand, there's an incredible compassion and tenderness in his voice. He didn't kick the disciples out of the boat. He didn't start over with a new group of people. But whatever you're facing... Whatever it is that you're looking into the future, and yes, you're confident about what God's done in the past in your life, other people's lives around the Bible. Yes, he's the Messiah. Yes, you check all the right boxes about who Jesus is doctrinally. But when it comes to where the rubber meets the road and what's next in your life, you have fear, confusion. You don't get it. Like Jesus said to the disciples, are you dull? And that, that, the, the, the term there is, are you, do you have a callus over your heart? And I'll go back to the very beginning. We we need an aha moment, or many of them, because we're not putting it together. And that's where I, one of the passages we've talked a lot about in the last weeks, look at this next passage here. This is what Paul prays for the church in the city of Ephesus. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. You know what Paul's saying there? I'm praying that you will have a spiritual aha moment. Not that it's necessarily a dramatic, bum, 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 you know, aha moment that way. But I pray that some things in your heart will start connecting and that Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, will help you understand what he's about to do in your life. And that you can trust him with what, with what right now looks unknown, complicated, and confusing. I, I've said before, Christianity at its core is a supernatural religion. So the solution to us not getting it, when Jesus says, don't you understand yet? The solution is not try harder. I mean, I could tell my math students when I taught math, hey, can you just try harder? Can you just think harder? They'd have been like, mm, no, I still don't get it. It's not a matter of willpower. It's not. Yeah, you have to be present. You can't walk out of the classroom if Jesus is trying to communicate to you. But it's a question of supernatural power. And the Bible tells us, and Paul gives us this example in Ephesians. It's simply saying to Jesus, Jesus, open the eyes of my heart. I want to understand this. I want to walk in faith. I want to have confidence in you. I want to see what your spirit can do in my life. But right now, I'm not seeing it. I see these words. I make no connections. But I want to. And so, Jesus, open the eyes of my heart. Open my ears up. Help me hear what you're saying. I mean, I'm not sure there's a better way to pray for some yourself or even someone you love. Open, God, open the eyes of their heart. Help them see what you're about to do. Because when he does that, he will start rearranging things in your life. He will start pushing you out of your comfort zone. Because what he's trying to develop in you is this full soul in your body. I mean, Jesus even says when after Peter kind of gives this, oh, no, it's never going to happen to you. Jesus says, you're looking at things from the wrong point of view, Peter. 
passages back in Mark. He says, what will it profit the world if you gain the whole world? What will it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? That's where that passage comes from. Jesus says that because he's saying, you're trying to figure out how to make life work. If you follow me, I will give you a full, alive soul in your body. You will be alive, awake, and free in ways you never. Now, you can either try to make your life work or let me expand the power and the capacity of your soul. You have a choice. And sometimes I, I often choose make life work, make life work. I'll do it, willpower, figure it out. Usually doesn't lead to the kind of end that I want. Because it's just when Jesus says that about your soul, and then he, was it, I was reading a book recently, and one of the quotes the person said, he said, if your soul is healthy, then no external circumstance can destroy your life. Suffering can't destroy your life. Negative things can't destroy your life. Because we tend to think, well, my life is good if my external circumstances are good. And the message of Jesus to the disciples is, no, your life is good if your soul is in my hands and you allow me to shape and to do us. And you, like the song we sang, let go my soul. That's not a song. That's not a resignation. That's more of a, a trust. So I'm going to pray. Uh, actually, close your eyes right now because I'm going to pray a certain way. Um, I'm going to ask some of you to stand up, and here's where I want to stand up in a second because I'm going to pray for you. Um, you I wanna, if you're facing a situation or as you even face your future or whatever, money, relationship, future, and if Jesus were to say to you, you have eyes, don't you see? You have ears, don't you hear? Don't you understand? And your response in a humble desperation is simply, no, I don't. I don't understand, but I want to understand. I don't. And I want to understand your way of doing things. And in essence, what you're saying is you want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened by the Holy Spirit. I want you to stand up. If, if that's you. Not, it may not be everybody right now. Um, some of us may not be in those places right now where like we're just kind of... But I'm guessing if you haven't been there or aren't there now, if you follow Jesus, you will be there. You will be at a place where you say that to Jesus. So for those of you standing... I'll even just repeat the words of Jesus when he says, don't you understand yet? Don't you see? You have eyes you can't see. You have ears. You haven't you seen all the things I've done? And I think those of you by standing, you're basically saying, no, we, we saw, we see that in the past. But what I'm facing now, I don't see. I don't see what you're going to do. So let me just pray for those of you who are standing. Jesus, my prayer is the same prayer that Paul had for the his brothers and sisters in the city of Ephesus 2,000 years ago. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of these people. You would open up the eyes of their heart. Because what Paul went on to say was, I pray, uh, you, I pray that you would open up their eyes so they can see hope, 
They can see power. They can see what you're about to do. So God, these, these children of yours, and I'm standing with them, are saying to you, we don't understand, but would you open the eyes of our heart? Would you enlighten our eyes? We want to see not in the way of make it work. We want to see in the eyes of following Jesus with faith in the supernatural world and what you can do. And we will go where you want us to go, even if that means discomfort, even if that means challenge, because in the end, we know where you want us to go, Jesus, where these you will lead us to life and peace and wholeness and goodness and being alive, awake, and free in our souls. So, God, with those people who are standing, I pray that you would do that in their lives and open the eyes of their heart and help them to trust whatever the next thing they sense you saying to them. Help them to trust and know that it's you as you direct their steps, as you direct my steps and all of our steps as to what's next, how we deal with the next reality of life. We don't want to be stuck in the boat like the disciples, arguing and dull-headed. And we see as the Bible kind of unfolds in the book of Acts, something happened and all of a sudden they were like way alive, the disciples were. That's who we want to be. So open the eyes of our heart. You can go ahead and sit down if you're standing. So God, all of us, would you open the eyes of our hearts? We want to be people who listen to what you tell us to do, let you stretch us, trust you, and then let you reconfigure our souls so there's a greater, greater capacity to hold your life and your power inside of our bodies. And it's even weird when we say it that way, but that's what Jesus, you said would happen, that the life and power of God then becomes to fill our souls our bodies. We want to be those kind of people who bring life to others around us. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. We uh, finish with communion every Sunday at Exodus. And um, this is how we do it. We'll sing a few more songs. And as soon as we start singing the next song, you're welcome to come up. We come up for communion. We, um, this is how we do it. We don't dismiss by rows. You just come on up. There'll be people here at the middle with bread and then the juice. They'll offer you the bread, and you just tear off a piece. Do that yourself. They'll offer you the cup, and you just dip your piece in the cup. This is how we do it here. There's no significant reason, but that's just how we do it. Most people eat it right away. Some people take it back to their seat. That's up to you however you want to do that. Um, anybody's welcome, as long as you're not giving Jesus any conditions or restrictions about what he can do in your life, as much as you know. Of course, none of us know completely our hearts, but you know what I'm saying. So you don't have to have... You don't have to have had a good week, a great week, or a sinless week, because this is for those of us who know we need, in a desperate way, the life and power of Jesus in our lives. So, Jesus, we're grateful.